0: I'm Jeannie Patel-Thompson from Listentoyourgut.com, here for part one of our Healthy Gut Bugs Q&A. Thankfully, the founder of Natron Probiotics, Natasha Trenev, is with me today. She's been in this business for 50 years. Her family has been in the yogurt culturing business for generations, used to supply most of the royal families in Europe, with their personal yogurt supplies. So what I love about Natasha is she not only has the science, she has one of the world's biggest libraries on uh, microbiology. She has a full-time PhD microbiologist on staff, but she has the boots on the ground, you know, hundreds of years experience in cultivating powerful, potent bacteria that, that keep humans healthy. Okay, I want to move to, we have a bunch of questions that have come in um, from readers of my books and people who are following my protocols, and they're working with the nature and probiotics. So first question is from Sally, and she says, my question is in regard to healthy Trinity. So after following the Listen to Your Gut protocol in 2017, my husband has greatly recovered from a serious flare-up of Crohn's disease. Natron probiotics played a huge role in his recovery, and he continues to take Megadophilus, Bifido, and digestolac once a day, but for some reason, he can't tolerate Healthy Trinity. This is confusing because I thought Healthy Trinity was basically the other three probiotics in one capsule. It would be so much easier for him to take one capsule a day but whenever he takes a healthy trinity, he experiences bloating and discomfort. Is there a reason for this?
1: Yeah, you know, it's um, no logical reason because there are the exact same bacteria that he's taking in Megadophilus, uh, in Bifidofactor, and in Digestilac. It's just that the bacteria are concentrated in the healthy trinity and they're much more potent. Because and isn't,
0: there, isn't there a higher Bifido dose in the healthy
1: trinity? That is correct. It's it's uh, twenty billion versus five billion of the Acidophilus and five billion of the uh, you know Bulgaricus. So, and
0: yes. and I have another idea. Looking yeah. at this, um, the healthy Trinity does not contain any growth medium,
1: does it? No, very little, almost none, because we that's why you you give up the growth medium because you microenrobe it with the oil to uh, ensure maximum survival through the uh, bile and, and the stomach. So
0: tell us how the growth medium would be benefiting him or
1: well, helping him. Well, the growth him. medium is where we call it the uh, intrinsic supernatant. In mm-hmm. other words, we grow the bacteria in a medium and with stimuli that they like mm-hmm. so that we encourage them to, dis- uh, to deposit the most beneficial byproducts in that you know, gro- growth medium, once it's fermented, it becomes the supernatant. And in that supernatant, you have natural antimicrobial substances, possibly hydrogen peroxide, uh, peptides, amino acids. These are all important messengers and nutrients that your, uh, uh, how should I say, wounded gut needs. And so- sorry. <laughs> keep going. So, so so that's where, that's why every one of our products is different. As we talked about it before, you can't mix all of this together because here we have the three same microorganisms in a different delivery system and in a, in a different combination than he can get in our single strain product. And it may be causing him discomfort. I think it's because his body's not ready for the strength of the health Trinity. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people have to work up to the strong. This is even at 30 billion stronger than products in the market that are claiming 200, 300 billion because of the way we grow the bacteria and maintain them.
0: Your bacteria, I think, are far more potent. Mm -hmm. I mean, no question, no question. I've seen your facility. Um, Okay, the other idea that occurs to me, because he's taking the powders once a day. So maybe if he took them twice a day, and, yes. and did that for three months and then tried the healthy three Trinity. Times a
1: day. Remember, I, I taught you that, you know, frequency is also important. Well, he,
0: I think he was on, if he's on the protocol, he was taking it three times a day, but it looks like he's dropped now to once a day because he's doing good.
1: Uh-huh.
0: You know, yeah.
1: you know, you know, and the thing is that sometimes people, um, two years later are able to take healthy Trinity because remember each one of our microbiota is a unique ecosystem that's unique to him. Uh, we, we're only guessing at the disturbance that could yeah. have been made there that he got Crohn's.
0: You know what I would test as well if I was him? I would take my Mega Bifido Digestiloc once a day and then also take the Healthy Trinity on yes. the same day. I would try doing it that way because maybe the growth medium, like you said with that supernatant, it's providing him with something that he needs that's right so instead of taking either or try to take both and then maybe over time he can switch to just taking the healthy trinity if that's right. what's going to make him be right. able to take
1: it for and, longer and i want to also stress here that it's not the product that's causing the bloat mm-hmm. it's whatever the product is displacing remember right. you know point. bacteria don't get, are not happy when you displace them right so you try to do the most damage to the host as a retaliation, but you trying to displace them from the parking spaces on the intestinal wall. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Good point. All right. Next question from Peter. For someone affected by IBD, how long does high dosage naturen probiotics take to change the gut biome? in such a way as to heal IBD and establish a good gut flora. I know everyone is different and has different stages of IBD. In my case, I have ulcerative colitis.
1: Wow, that's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) How long is a piece of of string?
1: (laughs) Yeah, first of all, it's the body that heals itself. We're providing the tools for the body to heal itself. And again, it depends on uh, how uh, affected his ecosystem is that he uh, got IBD. We, none of us know that. As like I said, our composition of microbiota is unique to each individual as our fingerprint. So all we can say is it's the it, guess and that if you want quicker results, you increase the amounts of products you're taking and the dosing. Take it three times a day and maybe take an additional Healthy Trinity at night. Mm. Try that for a couple of weeks and see if the increased dosing. I had one woman, I had to put her on Seven capsules of Healthy Trinity three times a day before we could get the results that she wanted. And then we we titrated down, uh, you know, uh, and and got her back. Seven Healthy Trinity a day? Seven, three times a day.
0: Really? Yes. For how many days?
1: Uh, She was on for several weeks. And you know we we got we got the problem under control. she had extensive chemotherapy and radiation. Oh. she had multiple problems. she was completely burned out.
0: She was like close to kicking it yeah yeah, yeah, okay. I hear you all right um someone else named Jeannie, spelled the normal way, wants to know she's got a number of questions in point mm-hmm. form, so uh. Okay, I'm going to read them all first because they all kind of interrelate. Does cooking kill probiotics? At what temperature or duration do the different strains die? Is there a difference between microwave and stovetop heat? I've read that microwaves kill less bacteria than stoves. For example, in a study of people who got sick from salmonella when food was cooked in the microwave, but those who ate the food on the stovetop did not get sick, Because the microwave heated the food but didn't kill the bugs. Does it matter if the probiotics are dead when we eat them? I've read that probiotics killed from heat still have many of the same benefits as those that are alive.
1: Wow, another loaded question. Uh, (laughs) Remember, microwaving heats uh, the product from the inside out. And it depends on the bacteria. Usually, bacteria start dying off at 120 degrees Fahrenheit. It depends on the bacteria, it depends on the strain, it depends on uh, the species. But I would say, you know, for beneficial bacteria, 120. Sometimes the not-so-friendly bacteria will even survive higher. Mm-hmm. Remember, like they tell you, when, when you cook your chicken, make sure it reaches 170 degrees. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for us, especially the pathogens that evolved, can take a lot more heat than, than beneficial bacteria. Remember, beneficial bacteria are more benign. Right. So I would say if you want to make sure something is cooked and doesn't have any bacteria make, cook at the stovetop, I, to this day, do not own a microwave in my home for many reasons. Me neither. Yeah. I, I just don't think it's a, a useful tool. And that's a whole other seminar we can do someday. Mm-hmm. But I would say cooking is the best way to sterilize your food. And the length of time it, it takes for you to get a result, again, depends on your individual background, your genetic material, how many times you've had antibiotics, uh, what kind of diet were you on before you got sick? All of those are contributing factors that uh, displace um, uh, the beneficial microbiota off the attachment sites of your intestinal wall, and it takes a while for them to be able to establish themselves. Again, how good of a host are you before you can establish? And I would say, first of all, make sure that if you have one of those inflammatory bowel diseases that you cook your food, please stop eating raw food. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I tell people. Your body cannot tolerate the background bacteria that is found in any raw food. And this is one thing I think doctors don't teach their patients. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, I'm going to kill the enzymes. I said, no, saute it. You don't yeah. sit there and boil your food. <laughs> you saute it and you make yeah. it softer, easier for you to digest. And, you know, and I said to people, for God's sake, sit there and chew your food 10 times. Don't just you know wolf food in your mouth and swallow it. You need to have you know digestion starts in the mouth. Yeah. And then I also tell people uh, take some Digestalact powder or some Megadophilus uh, before you eat. Uh, and this is just to help you with the digestion and the breakdown of that food. It doesn't mean you're getting the the uh, most amount of your probiotics, but it's serving a different function here, much much more like an uh, like a fresh enzyme. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: Interesting, so what about her question about does it matter if the probiotics are dead when we eat them? I've read uh, yes. that probiotics killed from heat still have many of the same benefits as those that are alive. I think you wrote about this in your book, didn't you?
1: Yes, yes. well, you know there's many opinions, and you know when you uh, um, kill the bacteria, it depends how you kill them. Uh, yes, he, you know if, if you spill the guts of the bacteria and, the, and those are called lysates. And those components, it depends if they can be beneficial as to how you kill the bacteria and how much of these components are left uh, in the end. Again, you can't just take information out of context and say it's going to kill you. No, if you have a product with multi-strain and it sits in a UPS (laughs) bucket at 140 degrees and you consume it, no, that that bacteria is not going to help you. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, 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 I do. Um, All right, she has some more questions. I'm also wondering whether there's a better way of knowing which strains and dosage are right for each person. I have ulcerative proctitis, which is supposedly much more localized and mild than colitis, but I've never been able to tolerate more than one eighth of a teaspoon of any of the three natron strains without flaring up. For almost a year, I've taken one eighth of a teaspoon of each of the three every morning and night I've tried to increase it to a quarter teaspoon several times every few months, and inevitably I get gas, diarrhea, and inflammation as a result. Is it possible that a milder case needs a milder dose?
1: Yeah, it's true, but I would, you know, I love your retention enema advice. I think that she is a prime candidate.
0: That's what I was thinking.
1: uh, A retention enema. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, um, again, it's not the product that's causing Uh, the gas and the bloating, it's the displacement of whatever is in there. Yeah. And as as soon as she said
0: gas diarrhea, I was like, she's getting die off
1: Yep. whenever she
0: increases the the dose.
1: So you need, you need to, you know, you need to do the retention enemas and you can get a number of your books. I I love the one you gave me the one, the natural treatments for gut infections. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a protocol there for doing retention enemas and how to take the product early. But definitely, I think uh, retention enemas are very important.
0: And she can, if she's scared, you know, she can, she can cut the dosage on the retention enema. She can start at a quarter dose of that and gradually build Absolutely. that up. Absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, you
1: know, whatever she has is retaliating. Let me tell yes, you, the exactly. bacteria do retaliate.
0: Yeah. Well, they're, like we said, they're live creatures. They don't want to die. They don't want to leave their host because then they'll be dead. So they're going to fight a bit. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Last question from her. Also, people talk about sauerkraut having many more billions of CFUs per tablespoon than bottled probiotics. If one can tolerate sauerkraut and other fermented foods, do you recommend using those as well? Are both important for different reasons? Why?
1: Well, first of all, there are no live bacteria if you're not using a live culture to culture your sauerkraut. If you're putting in salt, it's what we call an acidification and a breakdown uh, of the sauerkraut because acids are formed and they break down the composition of the sauerkraut. There's no bacteria except the bacteria that may have been there present in the sauerkraut before you started fermenting it. It's probably minimal. Mm -hmm. So as far as being a probiotic, forget it. Uh, the lactic acid in sauerkraut has been found beneficial, uh, you know, to, because there's something about cabbage and the fermentation of cabbage, but it's not a substitute for a probiotic supplement. Yeah. Nor does it have CFUs of anything. Remember, if you don't have a starter <laughs> culture uh, that has specific bacteria and you use a fresh starter culture each time you want to ferment a food, you have no idea what, what bacteria you have in that food when you have a fermented food. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. There's the, have you, do you have the cookbook Nourishing Traditions? No. That would be an interesting one to get your take on it. Um, They have recipes in there for lacto-fermenting vegetables like sauerkraut. And so you take your yogurt, which you could make using the natron yogurt starter. So you know, you're starting with a good culture. You could make yogurt with that. You could drain off the whey and use that to lacto-ferment your sauerkraut. Absolutely, you could. That would be a good way to yeah. do it.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Or even using a sourdough bread starter would be good to ferment your sauerkraut. Oh, never heard yeah. of that, okay. Yeah, you know, you, you have the lactobacillus used to make uh, sourdough bread. Right. And that would be a good starter culture for sauerkraut as well.
0: Which is why your grandmama could eat it every night and feel great.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs>
0: Um next question from John. I have been taking natron along with oregano oil. I'm going to assume not at the same time John, 2 hours yeah, apart. No. <laughs> I was diagnosed to get another one with ulcerative proctitis. My condition has vastly improved. Will I need to keep taking these products indefinitely or will they eventually produce a cure?
1: No, the products don't produce a cure. Your body produces a cure. It depends if you've given your body ample tools because, practitis, anything with an itis, remember, is an inflammatory condition. Mm-hmm. And that means the immune system is being stimulated to destroy the cells wherever that itis is occurring. So, um, I, you know, it, it's, it's the problem with your body, not with the product. The product is giving your body the tools to heal itself, yeah. but obviously it doesn't have enough of the tools. I would step up the regimen many more times a day. And again, if you got proctitis, I would use the retention enema.
0: And I would, I would do some, I would alternate it with some wild oregano rectally as well. Yes. You know, like do the do the same thing where you're using the wild oregano to kill the pathogen, and then you're following it with a high dose probiotic to repopulate.
1: That's now how you Now um, I haven't tried the, I haven't tried the oregano rectally. Does it burn?
0: You have to really dilute it. You oh. dilute it in uh, organic olive oil, for example, um, and you would, for rectal administration, you would do at least 10 to 1, so 10 drops of olive oil to one drop
1: of oregano. Yeah, because otherwise you might really have a surprise.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, you did, did not ever do that. Thank you for thank you for making me state that. <laughs> Again, I assume people who've read my books know what I'm talking about, but good point. Yeah, you have yeah. to dilute it. Um. You know, it's so interesting, again, with my horses, I will have a bottle of diluted wild oregano, and my mare, she'd given birth, and she tore, and I was like, oh, that needs some, because wild oregano, it, it doesn't just kill all the pathogens, it's anti-inflammatory, and it, they use it for wound healing for burn patients, it's a very powerful wound healer. So I let her smell it, and I go, do you want some on your vulva, where you're torn? And she she's like, yep. So I just, I move her tails and I got it in a spray bottle. So it's going to shoot. It's going to stay like, but diluted. I gave her the dilution and she stood, my horses are unhaltered. Everything they do is free choice. And she stood there and let me apply it and then let out a big sigh and moved her bum away. Like that's enough. And she asked me for it two more times and then that's it. And then she was healed. And then I'm giving her the natron Mm equidophilus with her feed. So she's getting her wild oregano and she's getting her probiotics. And, you know, it's, it's like creatures are creatures. We all need the same balance of, you know, the different substances.
1: And it's funny because whether you're giving it to the horse, the equine flora or the canine (laughs) dophilus, your dog, once they see how good it is for them, they'll line up to want it. They want to take it. And it's interesting because We as humans haven't developed that to know that something is good for us. And now we're incentivized to to want to take it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to, sorry, Equiflora. You're right. Canine Dophilus, and Equiflora. I have to put the Equiflora inside a metal bin in my tack room because the rats eat the entire tube in one night.
1: (laughs) They See know what
0: they oh. know what's good and they will chew through the plastic to suck out the equiflora.
1: That's interesting. I love it.
0: I know. You're like, creatures know.
1: That's right.
0: Okay. Um, next question from Annika. I have always had okay, so I'm gonna translate because it's it's a bit not quite correct English. Um is there such a thing as too much probiotics and fermented foods or too long? Can we cause harm by doing too much of a good thing? Or can our bodies become dependent? Nature and probiotics have been a major reason that my ibs is managed and I feel worse when I stop taking them. But I worry sometimes that I'm creating a bigger problem in the long term.
1: No, because... Um... I want to remind people that 40% of your dry weight fecal matter is bacteria. And one of the reasons that we age and decline is become because we become a less uh, desirable environment for these bacteria. So that's why as you age, you need this on a consistent basis. I kept telling people, hey, you know, you every time you eat, you move bacteria off your intestinal wall. Every time your body replaces a cellular structure, the intestinal wall you throw bacteria off it's a very dynamic ecosystem there's no static uh, of anything going on in the intestinal tract tract so yes if you like to eat and you and you like to eliminate you're going to have to replenish your probiotics and it has nothing to do with you becoming dependent it's how the ecosystem works And we're back to your grandmother
0: and great-grandmother who had their yogurt and their lacto-fermented bread every single evening. That's right. Probably in the morning as well. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think, the thing that people lose sight of with, um, you know, historically utilized bacteria. They are transient. It's not like you put them in and now you have enough and they keep.
1: Well, no. even the bacteria who we call static are never static because sure. eventually your body has to form new cellular structure in the intestinal wall and they get thrown true. off.
0: Yes, and, very true.
1: Uh, we know that by the time you hit 40, you'll probably lose about 60% of your bifidobacteria. Mm-hmm. You know, part of aging and the body deteriorating is that we do be, lose these bacteria. And you know, part of the aging process is that we don't efficiently eliminate the toxins. And that's why these bacteria that are friendly are so essential to our longevity and good health because that toxin elimination is really the crux of the whole issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question from Maurizio. If I am not mistaken, the dairy version and the dairy-free version of Megadophilus have different strains. Is one proven to be more beneficial than the other? Great question.
1: Uh, no, the reason the reason I, I kept the um, DDS-1 in the milk medium because that's what the original study by Dr. Shahani showed, that the DDS-1 uh, um, expressed the production of acidophilin only when it was double-cultured in the milk medium. Uh, so then I decided to use a different strain of acidophilus for my chickpea base because I wanted to make sure that the medium that I chose for the uh, organism was the one that it would like, and it would uh, express its features in that, you know, medium. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, for some people, the milk medium with the DDS one does better. Again, it's an individual thing. It's not like comparing two cars. It's uh, individual bacteria that has to make that relationship with you. And that relationship depends on your needs You know, both products, uh, both bacteria grown either in the chickpea, the NAS strain, or the DDS1 grown in the milk strain uh, will produce natural antibiotics and natural hydrogen peroxide. So -hmm. they basically have the same ability to produce those very beneficial end products. It depends which one will work better for you. Right. Because remember, your microbiota is individual to you like your fingerprint. Okay.
0: So, his next question is, if you can tolerate both, is it beneficial to alternate between the dairy-free and the dairy-based?
1: Uh, if, if it's beneficial for you, I go for it. Right. But you have to determine that by trying.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just try it and see. Right. All right. Next question from Shelly. Some natural doctors say it's best to switch around probiotics now and again. I do well on the Trinity, plus a half a teaspoon of digest so far can't handle the other dairy based natrons what do you say about the need to change to a different type now and again i have a huge candida problem was told to do some gut cleansing for a few weeks which i did then take a bottle of probiotics in 5 days then a different type for 5 days and again for the next 5 days i didn't do well with some of the other products one was vsl number 3 but got some others and finished the 15 days with the brands that I did well on. I felt pretty good. Then I seemed to need more probiotics to feel better for a while. Now I'm just taking one healthy Trinity a day. I also, yep. let me tell you, cause she's on some drugs. I also mm-hmm. need to take one to two nice a day and one 50 milligram fluconazole, fluconazole, I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Uh, fluconazole, once a week that I take several hours away from the probiotics. I've also taken natural antifungals but feel horrible off the Nystatin. I'm supposed to do this for two years, no sugar diet as well. Her history is I had saline breast implants that leaked and caused mold and Candida overgrowth in the body. She had those removed a couple years ago. So any recommendations? Should I, could I benefit from taking more Healthy Trinity Caps daily? Anything else? I've tried eating goat yogurt, but can't handle it. I've got a bottle of the Natron yogurt starter in the fridge, but I don't know what milk to try it with. Uh, Would it work benefit with coconut milk? Soy is off my list. So there's a number of questions there.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, you know, I can only talk about the probiotics I make and mixing up Uh, and adding different strains. Remember, it's like your analogy with the horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, all of our products, there's a lot of science between it. And, you know, whether you have the single strains or the Healthy Trinity, they're designed to work in a probiotic supplementation system. Uh, Taking something, you know, uh, from another company just upsets any work that you may have done because it's going to upset the balance that you probably worked so hard to create because you're just going to throw like a wild, you know, card in there. And I don't recommend it. Um, you know, if she's doing well on the healthy trinity, I would try maybe increasing it to uh, once one capsule once to three times a day. And then she could start, you know, she could take the healthy start and take that before meals and take the healthy trinity after meals. That's a good idea. You know, and mix it up. You know, this is the beauty of our products. You can develop an, a whole strategic program to benefit your needs. Mm-hmm. Because what, what I'm trying to impress upon everybody, the body does its own healing. We're trying to provide the bacteria at the level that your particular, uh, you know, problem needs in order to give the body the correct tools to heal itself.
0: Very good point. Um... So, I, one question is coming to me about Natron. Um, have you guys thought about adding some more species to your lineup?
1: No, I haven't because people always ask me, Are you going to add? And I said, No. For instance, I'll give you an example. I test everything and retest something. I may come up with a children's chewable, I've been working on it for about almost a decade. And, uh, you know, the popular uh, strain now that everybody talks about is Lactobacillus plantarum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the old days, that was considered a silage organism. People would use it in their silages to prevent candida growth or, you know, uh, fungal toxin growth.
0: Like silage for cows, you mean? A silage, yeah,
1: right. Yeah, okay. Or silage for wheat, uh, whatever. You know, wheat is prone to, you know, uh, Mold growth and the production of very uh, bad toxins for human beings. Right,
0: when they store it in in the yeah, yeah. grain things, those
1: big, the big grain silages. Yeah. So so uh, the problem is now for the last I would say fifteen years, L-plantarum has been touted for the gut brain issues and whatnot. But those people who don't do their own fermentation, known would know that plantarum also likes to inhibit multiple bifidobacteria species. Ah, uh, problem.
0: Yes, yes,
1: yes, problem.
0: We need bifido so, way more than we need plantarum. Right.
1: And so this is, again, the ignorance. And I get horrified because I see these people, and especially in the ones that say doctor formulated, and I see they've got plantarum in there, and they're touting the greatness of plantarum. And it, it, it's not a bad organism. It's a good organism. But you see... I take things very seriously because I know that if I can deal with very compromised people, then the healthy people should have no problems whatsoever. And so just adding an organism to my line without understanding what the holistic effect will be of the ingestion of those products is what I don't want to do. Right. Because I don't, I don't have all the parameters. It doesn't mean that I won't be adding other strains, but I certainly give it a lot of thought. Yes. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Next question from Jan. There are several companies now that claim to be able to analyze your microbiome from your stool sample and from that information, be able to tell you the type and amount of probiotics and even foods you should consume. Do you think that this is legitimate? If this truly works, it would be a huge help to those suffering from a variety of digestive disorders.
1: I think, uh, you know, people are getting ahead of the science. Um, You know, I I had the pleasure in the 1980s and early 1990s to work with with a man who's considered the father of anaerobic microbiology, Dr. Sidney Feingold. And at that time, he said, to do a comprehensive stool analysis would cost you close to $4,000. I don't know what technique they're using now, but just because you know what's in your microbiome by knowing what's in your microbiome, how do you determine what you're going to put in there to make it better? Yeah, good point. You know, and so I think that because one a,
0: plus one doesn't equal two. No, no, it's like
1: it's. I love your herd mentality. It's like just because you have a herd of horses to get along, and now you can say, "Oh, well, I'm just going to add another herd, and everything should be lucky Dory." It doesn't work that way. Wow. Yeah, it's. It. I think we're decades away. From truly understanding the composition of the microbiome and what makes it specific. To give you a bizarre example, you know, H. pylori, we know causes uh, acid indigestion, is also the cause of stomach cancer, which is very prevalent in Japan because they eat all this raw fish. Most people don't know that. Oh. They have very little bowel cancer, but they have huge amounts of uh, stomach cancer.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So now, Uh, And H. pylori has been found in migrations. You could actually map out the migration of civilizations by finding the H. pylori uh, uh, in in the um, uh, specimens that they pick up from these sites. And it can go back uh, almost 11,000 years. Okay. So now what the fascination comes in, that if you have a problem with an overgrowth of H. pylori and you try to eliminate all of it, they have found that when you eliminate all of your H. pylori, it predisposes your body to gaining weight. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so we're, about- back to, we're back to where everybody thought candida albicans was yes. evil, and it's like, no, you need a certain amount. It's the overgrowth that's the problem.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where I said that we can't be like children playing with an erector set with nitroglycerin. Yeah. We can't make arbitrary decisions based on what we know it's a very complex issue and you're trying that's why i say to people you know when you're trying to eradicate h pylori it's much better to do it with a probiotic than to go into a triple antibiotic therapy and take peptobismol. and you still never get rid of all of it but you don't know how you're altering your system because remember uh the reason i got into this whole field the word probiotic actually came from the animal industry where farmers were using beneficial bacteria and they were called probiotics. And I said, oh my God, uh, if people who are growing animals for profit are investing in this and finding it useful, why don't I do this for human beings and make it you know, specific for human beings? Also in that era, and I think it's still prevalent now, antibiotics are, giving, are given prophylactically to animals. Mm-hmm. And first of all, people assume that antibiotics are given to animals to keep them disease-free. Mm-hmm. But here's the really bad, dirty secret. The farmers found out that not only were the antibiotics given prophylactically, keeping the animals relatively healthy, they made them gain a lot of weight. Mm. And I said, you don't sell farm animals for slaughter based on their intelligence. You sell it on weight.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So if you could get an animal to get fat and retain water, heck, now the antibiotic becomes very desirable and not that expensive. But they found that by giving the antibiotic was too expensive just to keep the animals healthy. But now when they were getting 20 or 30% more body mass, the animals were getting fat and retaining a lot of water hey, I'm going to make a lot more money, so I'm going to keep giving this. Right, right, right. So, the, you know, the, I mean, I'm glad I'm giving these examples again. You see how many things you have to really yeah. investigate before you make, decide you're going to do something.
0: And, and this is why I wanted to have, you know, this series of conversations with you because there are very few people left who have the holistic knowledge that you have everyone is chunking it up into these little single tracks and nobody's, you know, which is basically the problem with our entire reductionist medical yes. paradigm. Um, and nobody's looking at all of these things from all of them, putting it all together and saying, well, wait a minute. And, and that's why I love, I love talking to you and, We've had so many exchanges like this in our private conversations. Uh-huh. I think it's fantastic to bring this level of, of, I call it practical, right? It's practical common sense, but from an educated perspective, from someone who reads wildly, widely and has a lot of you know, indigenous heritage type knowledge and then pull it all into one and say, well, but there's this and there's this and there's this, not just whatever the latest fad or trend is going off on.
1: Right. Or even just reading, you know, a Cochrane survey of all the clinical research and saying, oh, we've got the answer here because we've got, you know, 100 articles that we've read that were published and so therefore our opinion is correct. No, unless you have that vertical knowledge, you don't have it. it.
0: Exactly. Very good point. Thank you so much for Natasha. I'm going to stop us there because you and I have been going for a long time. (laughs) I so think we've answered all the current questions. We have, but we still are not even halfway through the number of questions we got. So I oh, think wow. we should stop and we should book another session.
1: Love to, love Let's to. See. I think this is a great idea yeah. because, you know, these questions are out there and I think people yeah. need answers. If anybody that tries to give you a simple answer to a complex issue is not doing you a good service.
0: So maybe we'll just do these one a week until we get through. And then probably as we put them out, there'll be like more questions that'll come in. So we'll just keep going. Yes, Let's just keep going. Let's do one a week till we can get to, because again, like I think the, the real key of this is that we're not, promoting products here we're not selling no. we're, we're promoting this holistic information around the microbiome and around how these incredibly intelligent creatures behave and move through the world these creatures that were here before we arrived and will be here after we're gone right so- and,
1: and then also uh, to leave you with this thought for now that many uh, uh, think now that we are a hybrid of microorganisms and mammalian cells. And usually when we look for uh, signs of life on another planet, we usually see if we can find a microbe. They actually found microbes on the outside of spaceships. You know, uh, when we had the Space Center, that's another topic. It's fascinating. Because they do adopt and they can live. I mean, uh, microorganisms adopt to radiation, exposure at maybe a hundred times level than we are, uh, we can survive. Uh, They can survive, you know, living in outer space. Uh, If you find microorganisms on a planet, you can assume that there might be life flourishing. So, uh, you know, the microorganisms, I'd say, from what we're learning are really the core of life. And we have to learn how we need to handle this, uh, what I call um, essential relationship that we have with these microbes and how do we keep that balance optimal and not just make rational, uh, uh, I mean, irrational decisions about the food that we consume or how we live or how we need to get better.
0: Well said. Thank mm-hmm. you, Natasha. Thank you so much. and Until next week. Exactly. Have-